Today, we begin our study of the book of Exodus. Exodus is by far the greatest escape story ever. Two to three million slaves escaped from the greatest, most fortified kingdom in the world. You know, when you think of escapes, you think of a few hundred people, sometimes from a jail. What is two to three million people in your mind? If they were to line up five in a row, like an army marching, they would stretch over 100 miles. Now that's something like halfway between Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. Well, you Filipino, it's like Manila to Baguio, right? <clears throat> now, of course, people don't walk so disciplined five in a row. They had cattle, they had children, so they'll probably be less close together and they'll probably stretch 200 mile long column. Now, of course, they were also walking through one of the most hostile terrains in the world. There was no source of food, no water. How do you feed two to three million people? You need about 1,000 tons of food a day. God airdropped 1,000 tons of manna every day for them. Two to three million people will need like two million gallons of water just to survive. I'm not talking take a nice bath, wash our hands all the time. Two to three, two million gallons of water. God provided for them. Just by way of looking at this, right? It's for 40 years, this journey. China's Mao Zedong's long march was one year. This is 40 years. Mao Zedong's long march was maybe 50,000 men. This was two to three million. The long march was through villages where there was some people could provide some food. This was through totally hostile territory. So I hope you're getting the picture now. How is this so? In the Egyptian army, when it was in 1973, there was Arab-Israeli war. And the Egyptian army was stalled, halted in this same desert for three days. Couldn't get enough food given, provided the logistics. They surrendered because there was no food. A few thousand men, three days, not 40 years. The Bible also says their shoes never wore out. Wow. If you have a car today and you drove in the same desert, you better have lots of spare tires. Because this desert is full of sharp rocks, cuts even the 
best quality tires. Now you must remember the Jews, this is 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, what kind of shoes did they wear or sandals? Very rich people, leather. Leather doesn't last that long, but these are not rich people, these are slaves. Their sandals are made of straw, probably. <laughs> straw for 40 years in this desert. Now that's another amazing miracle. Now, who wrote this book? Okay, This book is written by Moses. It's a very simple book to read because it is just basically two parts. The first half, more or less, is a narration or report of events, of what God did to deliver these people. The second half of the book is not so much a report of events, but a record of laws that God gives. So the first part is about God's grace to men. The second part is about man's responsibility to God's grace, man's gratitude. Okay? So this is a very simple book, just two halves. Now, Moses was the perfect man to write this. He was educated as Pharaoh's adopted grandson. Okay? Pharaoh's daughters adopted him. Now, finest education. All the other slaves couldn't read or write. They were slaves. Okay? He was the only one. Not only could read and write, but because he was trained properly, he had an organized mind to accurately report what he saw. He was like an eyewitness account of all these books from Exodus to Deuteronomy, the last four books of the Torah on the Pentateuch. The first book, he wasn't born yet. So obviously he didn't do an eyewitness reporting. The first book, God had to tell him how creation was made, how the world was created because he wasn't there, nobody was there. The rest he had to collect oral history. But in this, from Exodus to Deuteronomy, he's an eyewitness account reporting. Now Moses is an awesome person. So the Jews, he's the second most revered after Abraham. To us, wow, he's a man who literally saw God face to face. Talked to God, God talked to him more than possibly anyone else. He's a man who did more miracles than any other human. And his miracles were like, whoa, awesome miracles. So this is a little introduction to the book of Exodus. Let us now look at the book of Exodus from a spiritual overview. The book of Exodus is central to the Old Testament as the cross is central to the New Testament. In the book of Exodus, you will see types of our salvation in Christ and of our life in Christ, right? 
A type is a foreshadowing, kind of like telling you what's going to happen. Not perfectly, but giving you a good idea. So let's look at the types of our salvation in the book of Exodus. Israel were slaves in bondage, no way to escape. We, before we were saved, were slaves to sin, under the bondage of sin. One day, God visited the Israelites. One day, as we were going about our own business, God visited us. And God told the Israelites, have a Passover lamb. Slaughter that lamb, take the blood, and paint it on your door frame. And when the, an angel of destruction comes by to destroy the Egyptians, when this angel sees the blood on the door frame, he will pass over that house. That's why it's called a pass over. For us, we trusted Christ, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed to wash away our sins. When we stand before God, we will not be judged because our sins have been settled in Christ. So that's a Passover. Now, interestingly, the Passover happened on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. So they ate their meal on that day. 1,500 years later, on the same day, Christ was crucified. At 3 p.m., Christ said, It is finished. Sins settled. At about 3 p.m., 1,500 years before Christ said, It is finished, the Israelites were eating the Passover meal at about 3 p.m., ready to leave Israel. Wow. Three days after they ate the Passover lamb, they escaped from Egypt. Three days after Christ died for our sins, he rose from the dead so that we too can rise from the dead. Then the Israelites, after they escaped from Egypt, went through the Red Sea. That's a picture of baptism. We, after we are saved and know we are truly saved, we go through baptism. Then they journeyed for 50, and they arrived at Mount Sinai 50 days after the Passover meal that they ate. 50 days after Christ died was, past, was Pentecost. 
in Sinai, 50 days after they ate the Passover meal, God gave them the law, the commandments. For us, at Pentecost, God gave the church the Holy Spirit so that we have the ability and strength to fulfill the law that was given at Sinai. Wow. Then the Israelites after Sinai were told, now journey to the promised land. That's very near. 14, 15 days journey. But they were, instead of entering the promised land, which is really not heaven. Huh? We always think the promised land is heaven. No. The promised land is the place of rest for Israel. The place of rest from all their struggles and a place where they would have conquest over the enemies in the land. For us, after we have trusted Christ and are have the Holy Spirit in our heart, we also will try to enter the place of rest where we have peace in our heart and where we can conquer our sins that grip us. But you know, of all the Israelites, two to three million, only two entered the place of rest. The rest never entered. It's a type of us Christians. Many Christians born again have never had that victorious Christian life, that peace in the heart, that peace from having overcome our struggles with all the sins that grip us, all the worldliness that tempt us. Very few ever find that rest. So I hope you see the types in this journey of the Israelites and in our journey as Christians. Now, the tabernacle is another type. Let me just say very simply, God told the Israelites, build a tabernacle because I want to dwell in the midst of you. See, in the Garden of Eden, God walked in the garden. Now God tells them, no, I want to stay there. Now this is a type of Holy Spirit of God living in our hearts. Right? We are the temple of God. Look at the architecture of the tabernacle. One door, one way only. There's only one way to reach God. As you enter that little door in the tabernacle, the first thing you see is the brazen altar. An altar where sacrificial animals are sacrificed. It's all right. First thing you want to do, you want to approach God, you need to trust in your substitute sacrifice, Christ who died for us. Then the next piece of furniture the priest would see is a big basin of water called a lever. And the priest had to wash his hands there before he could enter closer to the presence of God. What does that speak of? 
we need to be justified through our sacrifice, Christ. And then we need to be sanctified in our life as we put away sins from our life. And then we can draw closer to the presence of God. So I hope you see the types. Very simple. Exodus is very much the story of our Christian life. Let's now look at why Israel stayed so long in Egypt and what they learned about God in the Exodus journey. <clears throat> they were supposed to stay in Egypt for seven years, the time of the famine, and then twice stay on. But they stayed on for over 400 years. Now, humanly speaking, they stayed on because they were given prime land in Goshen. They were VIP guests at that time. They were family of the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph. Egypt, because of the massive Nile River, is a very fertile land. Goshen is right at the delta, very fertile. And so life was easy. They had all their physical needs met. Even when the dynasty changed, the new king came and did not favor them, forgot this new dynasty, didn't even know about Joseph. Yet they stayed on in spite of the persecution. Now today Jews are very much the same. They're all kinds of countries. They've settled into businesses that give them a comfortable lifestyle. And though they may be persecuted and Still, they stay on. Very few have returned to Israel. So, humanly speaking, that was possibly the reason why they just stayed on. You see, the Promised Land had a little river called Jordan, which often dried up in the dry season. So, there were famines when there was a dry season. But Egypt, the Nile, just keeps flowing and flowing. Now, but there are actually divine reasons why they stayed on so long. Number one, God had told Abraham that one day you will inherit the promised land. Now, Abraham is a little group. At this time, when they went to Egypt, there were just 70 of them. How could 70 people occupy the promised land, which was full of built-up cities, beautiful farms. It was filled with very high civilization at that time. Ten nations in the Promised Land at that time. So how could this handful of people occupy this land? So, God told Abraham, you will stay 400 years. And so they grew and multiplied. Of course, the question is, how did 70 become 2 to 3 million? 
Now, 400 over years, in those days, people reproduced very young. They didn't wait till very late to get married. When they reached puberty, they got married. So let's say they got married 1516 at that age. 450 years gives you about 30 generations. 30 generations, if every had about four or five kids each, you will hit your two and three million if you do your math. Right? So numbers grew during this period of time, plenty of food in Egypt to sustain them. But there was another reason why they had to wait 400 years before they could occupy the promised land. God had told Abraham that you will only occupy, own the promised land after the wickedness of the Amorites or the Canaanites were full. What does that mean? The people in Canaan had a very wicked culture. There were two things that stood out. One was immorality. Their whole religion was based on sex, the fertility religion. They worshipped God by having sex with temple prostitutes, both male and female. Wow, I mean, for us it's like, are you serious? No, that's, that's serious, all right? So sexually transmitted diseases are very, very common. It's found in archaeological findings of bodies. Mm. Secondly, they worship their gods, their demon gods, so to speak, by offering human sacrifice, often their own children. Now, this wicked culture couldn't go on forever. And as it got worse and worse, it hit, so to speak, God's limit. And God said, in 400 years, their wickedness will be full, so horrendous that they have to be cleaned out from this earth. That's why we don't have a lot of sex religions today. We don't have a lot of religions that offer their babies to be burned, thankfully. So God removed this awful cancer in human society. So it's not ethnic cleansing. Right? It was just morally immoral and wicked. So God said, you have to wait 400 years. Their wickedness will reach a point, I have to do something. So that was why they waited 400 years. Now, in the Exodus journey, what did the Israelites learn about God? Up to that point, when Exodus began, people had what they call their gods, national gods. The Moabites had their god, the Amalekites had their god, the Philistines had their god. Everybody had their own god. That's basically evil spirits, right? Evil spirits are not omnipresent. They cannot be in the whole world at one time. They can be at a certain place, right? So every nation had their own gods, demon gods or evil spirit gods, right? So Israel learned first that their god was more powerful than all the gods of Egypt. 
Wow, the god of the river, the god of the sun, the Egyptian god of the land. Their god was more powerful. That's the first thing they learned. Secondly, they learned that their god was actually the only god. The rest were not gods, right? So that was another truth. Their god was the god of the universe. Whoa, that's a new theology of that time because everybody had national gods, right? Then they learned another truth during this journey, that this god of the universe had elected them, this little nation, to be a nation of priests, to bless, eventually, hopefully, the world. Wow, I hope you see the types, like we are priests of God to reach the world. Mm. Then they also realized that this God wanted to dwell with men. As he did in the Garden of Eden to walk, now he would want to have his presence with them, restore his presence with them, a type of Christ living in us. Now, okay, so the Jew began to learn these things, these important things about their God. Let's now see what we can learn from the life of Moses. He seems to be so well trained as a leader. God put him through 40 years in the best secular education possible at that time. After that, he got a little arrogant. He wanted to deliver his people, his birth people, the Israelites, with his strength. And he failed. And so he had to flee away. And then God allowed him this super talented, educated, trained person, trained in the palace of the richest king at that time in the world, God allowed him to spend 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep. Now, these 40 years did help to balance his training. Very good, very smart, probably very arrogant. Now, God humbled him. God taught him how to take care of sheep because he would take care of two to three billion sheep for 40 years. God taught him how to live in the wilderness because he would then not only have to live there, but teach two to three billion people how to live and how to travel through this wilderness. So he had 40 years education in one field, secular, and never looked down on the value of secular training. Daniel, for example, was trained in the Babylonian court, another mighty kingdom. Paul was trained in the best brains, the Gamaliel and the, the Jewish uh, doctors of the law. So 
don't undervalue. I think sometimes we get so spiritual, we try to throw away our uh, secular training. So God had given him this 280 years of training. And then we see also another part of his life, in spite of we looking to Moses as a superman, we see when God called him at the burning bush, God said, I want you to go and serve me and deliver my people. And then we see Moses gives five excuses. And I want to see you to see yourself in Moses as you give these five excuses. I, I hear this all the time. All right. When you approach somebody to serve God, in this case, God approached Moses. First thing he says, Pastor, who am I? You know, that's the first thing they will say. I'm nobody. And then the next thing they will say is, I don't know what to say. I think God can use you to reach his people. I don't know what to say. That's exactly what Moses like. What do I say? And then after that, you say, yeah, yeah, but I don't think they will listen to me. Doesn't sound, Moses said exactly that. They won't listen to me. And then Moses said, but I'm not a good talker. I have a speech problem. A lot of people tell me that. Master, I'm not a natural talker. And lastly, they will say, like Moses, why don't you send someone else? See, I, I hope when you are approached to serve God, not by some, you know, frivolous, but seriously, your pastor, people have prayed over you, ask you to serve. Remember, when you give these five excuses, remember Moses. It's so natural to give. How did God help Moses overcome this, I call it, natural tendency to, to fear? God revealed his name to Moses. God said to him, Moses said, what's your name? And God said, I am that I am. What does that mean? I am means I am the eternal unchanging God. I never change. No human can say that. Humans say, I was, I am, I will be. It's changing all the time. Either growing better or growing worse. But God says, I am. I'm the unchanging eternal God. Then God gave his personal name. Up to this point, the Israelites knew God as God. That's it. In, in, in the Hebrew language, God was El. Elohim, God Almighty. That's all they knew. God Almighty, the God up there. God said, no, my name shall now be Yahweh. That's my personal name. And in Hebrew, that means always. Now, unchanging eternal God always doesn't forsake you, always will be with you. Whenever you are afraid to serve God, remember, always. 
will always be with you. Whatever you need to do, He will be with you. His grace will see you through. So I hope that whenever you approach and ask to serve God, remember, you can do it. Always the great I am will help you. Jesus said, I am seven times. I am, I am, I am. I am the good shepherd, you know, and so on. Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit.